The Great Battle is the title of message number 10 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, The Church and the World of the Future, a study of the book of Revelation. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Revelation chapters 16 through 18. As you turn to the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation, let me remind you of the 6th chapter of the book of Ephesians. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities and the rulers. And that the strategy comes not from a military book. The strategy comes from the fifth fifth chapter of the book of Galatians that says, essentially, that the fruit of the Spirit is what overcomes the desires of the flesh. Let me pose something to you this morning that you may never have heard before. Let me pose to you the possibility, no, really the certainty, that Armageddon is not a locality. Many people have become foolish in anticipating the place and the time of this final consummation of the battle between good and evil. When really from the very beginning, the questions of God and the desires of God for us to see that which is the real battle place have not at all been geographical, they've all been biographical. When you reconsider the first question of God in the whole Bible. After the fall of Adam, he is hiding in the bushes, and God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he asks a question to Adam, and the question is, where are you? Now, God was not asking a question of geography. God knew perfectly well where he was. God can see behind the bush. God was asking a question of biography. Where are you at now, Adam? What have you done? Look at your life. I would submit to you that the final battle is just like the first question. Not a matter of geography. Many people throughout the years have tried to to predict the location of Armageddon, this final battle. Now, Many scholars would say that what they're talking about is the symbolic plane of Megiddo in the Holy Land where many famous battles were fought, and so it becomes symbolic of the final battle. Others have written books about it taking place at other parts of the world. There was an author some 400 years ago who wrote a book in Latin. His his, his name was... uh, Robert Brainstrom wrote a book, um, and the title of the book was Apocalypse, Apocalypsius, which means a revelation of the revelation. And in that book, he said, I can certainly see that Armageddon is really the city of Geneva. And what is going to happen is that the Roman Catholic Church is going to march with its armies against the Protestant Reformers, but the Protestant Reformers will not only overcome them, but go down and overtake Rome. Some hundreds of years later, there was a 
person in the United States, Samuel Baldwin, who wrote a book around 1850 that proclaimed that what Scripture was really talking about in Armageddon was was really the geography of the United States. As a matter of fact, the United States had been foretold in Scripture and, and the final battle would take place here in our country. As a matter of fact, I've seen a, a teacher of prophecy on Channel 55 from time to time who goes into such great detail of the prophecies of Ezekiel and Daniel and, and Revelation that he misses the entire point. He has the country outlined where the altar would be and the showbread and all of that kind of stuff and totally misses the point. The point of God is that Armageddon is not just in the future. The point of God is that Armageddon is now, because this is where the struggle takes place. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we say, oh, someday God will win the war between good and evil. Someday, over there, there'll be a battle. Someday, they will fight that battle. Someday... That will happen. But God would say to you, it's not someday, it's now. It's not there, it's here. It's not them, it's you. There's the battle. My colleague, Muhammad, prays five times a day, using a compass for his direction, facing the east. I pray five times a day, using a mirror for my direction facing myself. I wish that the battle were over there. I wish that that I could think of total evil someday instead of the envy and enmity in my own heart, instead of the idolatry of my own life. I wish it could be that simple and that futuristic. Let me show you what Scripture says about this battle. And you can decide if all of, the, all of a sudden the Bible switches from spiritual universal truths to local and literal military battles. Turn with me to the 16th chapter and let me begin to read verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates. Now the Euphrates was also symbolic of a boundary that kept out the pagan hordes. The Euphrates was the northeast boundary of the land that God had given to Abram. And so what, look what it says. And its, waters, and its water was dried up. So therefore, the erasure of the boundary and the vulnerability of God's people to invading hordes. That way that the way, I'm sorry, might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Remember what we said two weeks ago. Satan has power but only derived from God. Satan has essence but no substance. That is, all Satan can do is imitate or counterfeit what God is. And there is not only a holy trinity, there is a false trinity. That the dragon is anti-God. Anti not meaning against, it means instead of, a replacement for. The beast is the anti-Christ. The false prophet is the anti-spirit. And so here is this unholy trinity speaking blasphemies. And I I wish we could see when we say words that are unkind, that are from the other side, I wish we could see what those look like spiritually. They look like frogs coming out of our mouth. 
the unclean animal that is now spilling out of our mouth. The Bible says this, For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for war in the great day of God, in in the great day of God Almighty. And then look at verse 16, And they gathered them together in the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon, or the plain of Megiddo. Now I want you to see, all of these forces are gathered for a great war. It doesn't say who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It just says there's a gathering of forces. Now I want you to read the very next verse. Look what it says. And the seventh angel poured out of his bowl upon the air, and the loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. What? We were looking for a big battle here. The voice comes and says, It is done. Where's the war? Where's the protracted where's the protracted suffering? Where's the back and forth between good and evil? Where'd it go? It's already over. I want you to know that the words from Armageddon are the words from the cross. It is finished. The battle is not won in the future. The battle was won at the cross. You see, when you fight, you're not fighting for God. You're not fighting Satan. You're fighting yourself. That's the only battle. By the time we get to this stage, this judgment stage, this is simply a declaration. It's not a war. It's done. It's done. It says, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals and thunder. Maybe you were looking for some great battle in here. But as soon as God shows up, the demons are gone. It's finished. There is no war here. You have to have a contest of equal powers for war, or at least a contest of some power. There is no power but God. There is no contest here. Well, then why do people suffer so much? Look at the next couple chapters with me. As a matter of fact, let's put a slide up. You're going to have to get a, you're going to have to get a, a tape of this because there's more than you can understand in one setting. So get a tape next week of this message and listen to it over and over again. Look at our old friend Albrecht Durer as, as he paints, uh, or, or, or wood carves rather, the 16th, 17th, and 18th chapters of the book of Revelation. You didn't think I was going to do this, did you? Uh-huh. No, that's not it. There, no, that's not it. Keep going. There you go. Okay, good. I knew you could do it. What I want you to see is that there is mentioned the beast. Focus a little bit better, please. Thank you. There is mentioned the whore. Now, just as there is the beast and there is the horror, and, 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 and the whore is, is interchangeable with, with the reign of Babylon, I, I told you that the other side has counterfeits or, or replacements. The whore is the anti-church. The church is what? It's the bride of Christ, isn't it? Spotless and pure for a wedding to Christ. The other side has the whore. 
who reigns over Babylon, the church will reign over what? The New Jerusalem, right? So therefore, I want you to see this. In her hand is the cup full of abominations. Now, a cup in Scripture literally means a life. When Jesus said, are you able to drink of the cup of which I drink? He wasn't talking about a physical cup. He was talking about a life. Be able to live the life I live. Be able to participate in that. So this cup of abominations uh, that is in, I think, uh, chapter 17, verse 4, uh, is full of immorality. This woman is drunk. If you could see this picture closely, you could see as to where she would be very... I'm sorry, this verse that would be verse 6. The, the jewels are verse 4, and, and how decorated she is, and how attractive she's supposed to be. If you could see you would see a very drunk look on her face. She's dazed. She's dazed. And then this uh, uh, future destruction of the city that we'll read about in, in chapter 18. Could you tip this down just a little bit so we could see the top of this slide? I want you to see this angel up here. Focus a little bit better with the top, okay? Uh, bring it in a little bit better. This is, the, this is supposedly a symbol of the gathering of this, this army. Um, this is the the stone which will sink into the sea just like the city will sink into the sea. Look at this angel right here. The angel's saying, what happened? What just happened? Now on that note, turn off the slide and let me talk to you. The battle of Armageddon is the battle of substance against nothingness. All that the world has to offer us is illusion. It is promise that is never fulfilled, that turns out to be disappointment and hurt, which creates, watch this, a deeper appetite to chase after more and more of the world, hoping harder and harder that you can get all of your promises and needs met out there. I heard a story once. One of the grand old preachers of the South, his name was Clovis Chapel, said that when he was a young boy, he used to go to some of these little village uh, Christmas extravaganza. And, and villages, of course, don't have very many people. And, and when they celebrate Christmas, many times they celebrate it together. And so he said there was one that he went to at the very beginning of his ministry. This would be back in the 1800s probably. And, uh, or early early 19th century. Very small village, and they were coming together to, to celebrate this Christmas extravaganza. And there was a, a, a field hand somebody had hired who was very, very slow mentally, um, but a good worker, um, but just was not too quick. And, and, and so they, they gathered and they gave presents out to everyone, these brightly wrapped packages, you know, and, and, uh, and, every, and called out everybody's name, and, and this field hands was standing there and he was all excited about ready to get his present and and his heart just continued to sink as one name after the other was not his that was called and and finally it looked like all the presents were gone and he was just absolutely distraught but then a voice came up that called his name and he turned around and there was this absolutely huge best wrapped package in all of the village and he yelped with joy and charged toward that package and unwrapped it furiously and opened the box that was completely empty 
Someone had played a joke on the village idiot. You know what I think of when I think of that story? I think of all of the people who are out there running around in this world trying to get their needs met in non-eternal ways. The box is empty. Somebody's playing a joke on the village idiots. These figures are playing a joke. But what is the response? The response by this time, you can read it, are people who are so distraught, so titillated now that they don't want to turn to God. They'll try harder after the same thing that has just failed them. You've got a relationship that has disappointed you. Try for another relationship. Maybe that'll be the real thing. You've got a job that's just fired you. Try to put all of your hopes for another job. Maybe someday the perfect job. Maybe someday plenty of money. You've got a dream you've always dreamed of and you've never achieved it. Don't turn to God, the other side would say. Keep dreaming in that dream. Place in your hopes in that dream. Until finally, you are totally empty because you have chased the illusion. You see, that's the character of the other side. It's just an illusion. Look at these verses with me. It says, when it talks about the whore and the beast, look at what it says in verse uh, 8 of chapter 17. It says, the beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to come. It says in the end of that verse, the same thing. He was, he is not, and will come. It says in verse 11, the beast which was and is not. Now let me just pose to you a riddle. What is there that has a past and has a future, but has no present? An illusion. You thought you had it. You think you might have it someday. And in as far as you thought you had it, and you can dream of it, it has some reality in your life. But when you turn to it, there's nothing there. It's an illusion. The power of Satan is the power to deceive. And I want to tell you that this is not a battle that is fought in the future. It's a battle fought every day in your life. Every day. And I want to tell you that the battle is not primarily moral, whether or not you can be a good person. The battle is, who's going to run your life? The battle is, are you trusting in God with everything you have and everything you are, or are you running your life hoping to get your needs answered someday? That's the battle. It's not about how good you are. Satan doesn't care how good you are as long as he can eat you for lunch. I heard a story once of an Indian chief who owned land as far as the fastest pony could ride in weeks. And one day while he was sitting upon his seat of authority, his throne, if you will, this little dwarf-like creature came to him, this little Indian, little jester-like person, came to him and did a little dance to entertain the chief. And he said, oh, great chief, 
You are in control of all of the land. As the east is to the west, as the north is to the south, I have only one request. Would you grant me as much of the territory as I can cover in three strides? Well, the chief looked down at him. And he started laughing. His little bitty legs weren't only that big. He said, sure. And in two strides, he had knocked that chief off his throne. And he stood on the throne and he said, this is the territory I claim. I want to tell you, it's personal with Satan. He's not interested in what areas of your life he can have. He's interested in you. He's a murderer. That's Armageddon. It's not out there. It's here. And it is a great battle that takes place every day. And what looks like it may answer your dreams out there will turn on you in a second. You know, the absolute surprise of chapter 18 as you read it, and please read these chapters if you haven't yet. Remember, the test isn't on the lecture. It's on the book. It doesn't matter how much you can remember from a sermon. It matters how much you understand of the Bible. Read these chapters. But the absolute amazement of the 18th chapter of Revelation is, where did it all go? I thought we had these relationships. I thought it was all so solid. And chapter 18 says again and again and again, watch, in one hour, your judgment has come. It says in verse 17. For in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. It says in, chapter, in verse 19, I'm sorry. For in one hour, she has been laid waste. It happened just like that. What happened? Here was a city that was based upon worldly relationships, upon worldly trade, upon worldly ambitions. And I don't care what it looks like. If you've got something based on the world and not on eternity, it'll be taken away just like that. I don't care how friendly a person looks, how good a person looks. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about my dog. It won't take a second. I got this little dog, Shelby is her name, named her after my hometown. Because she was red and gray when we got her, and that was my school color, so I named her Shelby. 99% of the time, Shelby is the friendliest cuddliest, most wonderful dog in the world. But when she's got something in her mouth that I don't want her to have, I can talk as nice as I want. I can be as stern as I want. But when I go for that thing in her mouth, I had better be wearing steel gloves because she will come after me as savage as any tiger you've ever seen. The other day I was trying to go out to the porch. She was just sitting right in the doorway. I looked at her. It's just a little bitty dog. I said, shall we get out of the way? <laughs> now, I could have stepped over, but I want her to know who's boss. <laughs> I said, go on. Now it's a challenge. I reached down to scoot this dog out of the way 
I can show you my toes this morning. Because there's some damage done to my foot. I don't own that dog. As friendly as that dog is, that dog's her own dog. And I want to tell you to examine your life. Because you may be 99% with the Lord. But when the Lord comes to you and says, are you mine? There may be one area of your life that you turn on him just as if you were his enemy. And if there's that one area of your your life, you're not his. You're yours. You've got to be willing to say, God, do what you want to do. And that's a battle to be fought every day. Giving every day. Milton once said that most people would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Where's your heart? That's Armageddon. And it's also the character of the church to help each other discover how to walk toward God together. See, we can't do this alone. That's the whole secret of it. All these relationships fall apart because the people are basically alone all along. But the difference between Babylon and the church is that we're together. Imperfect? Yeah. Always dealing with our sin? Yeah, but we're together. Pray with me. Lord, help us to advance united. We are an army because we are in love with you and in love with each other. This is not a military deal. It's a matter of love. And so, God, help us. Help us not to remain alone. Help us not to look after our own will, but after your will. God, teach us that the battle is not in the future, it's in the present. That when we give our lives to you, the battle is over, but yet continuing as we love you more and learn how to love each other. That as we do that together, we will advance the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of Satan will fold as an empty, weak illusion. Because that's exactly what it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.